Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. My co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, will not be with us uh, today. And between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders to perform in the top 10%. You know, we always try to bring um, interesting people on the show, on the cutting edge. Well, one of the sweet spots for Kathy and I is emotional intelligence. And so we really feel honored today to have Joshua Friedman. Uh, he's been doing this, you know, for over a decade and is basically one of the, one of the stars in the field. He is the COO of Six Seconds, and we're going to be talking about a book um, that he has authored, one of many, called Inside Change. And let me tell you a little bit about Joshua. We'll bring him on in, in a moment. Um, when we first started this show, it was called the Leader's Playbook. This is probably in 2007. Joshua was probably the third or fourth guest uh, that I had on the show specifically around emotional intelligence and emotional self-awareness. I was really uh, <clears throat> excited to have him be a part of that. Now we have about 200 shows plus, and many of our shows are not only on emotional intelligence, although I'm very excited that this one is. So let me tell you about Joshua. He's one of the world's premier experts on developing emotional intelligence to improve performance. He has an incredible warmth and authenticity that he translates leading-edge science into practical, applicable terms um, that improve the quality of the workplace relationship to unlock your enduring success. So we talked about in in the first part that he is the author of Inside Change. He also has another book called At the Heart of Leadership and over two dozen articles, including Business Case for Emotional Intelligence, the Workplace Issues Report, and A Hope for Change. He also has four assessments we may get him to talk a little bit about, the EQ uh, Leadership Report, the Organizational Vital Signs, um, and several books and training programs that we'll talk about a little bit more. His uh, website is Six Seconds, and it's the number six, seconds.com. And Six Seconds has offices in 11 countries, practitioners in over um, 50 Countries and he has co-developed the Six Seconds EQ certification training, <clears throat> which he's delivered on five continents as the master trainer to hundreds of professionals seeking practical tools 
for learning and teaching emotional intelligence and has helped launch the emotional intelligence programs companies over uh, a dozen different countries. So, Joshua, welcome to the call. I'll bring you on a little earlier than we normally do. Thank you, Riley. Yeah, it's great uh, having you. And uh, you were saying, <clears throat> before I get into a little bit of the, the research, that you're heading out on another trip again. Maybe say about kind yes, of, you know. I'm off to Japan and then Jakarta. We have our 11th office just opening in Jakarta, and I'm headed there and then to Kuala Lumpur. That's great. Well, so one of the things I'm really interested in is, um, as we kind of move into the actual questions, is some of this overseas work. And we have a lot of uh, listeners who are obviously interested in emotional intelligence, but really been able to hear maybe about some of the, you know, the aspects of emotional intelligence overseas. So let me say a little bit about, you know, Kathy and myself. We'll do a little bit of the uh, kind of why we have the show, and then we'll, we'll zero in on some of these questions with you. So as folks know, Kathy Greenberg, who is not with us today, um, but she is an all-star ex- executive coach. She has uh, authored many multiple books on the science of happiness, What Happy Companies Know. She has a latest bestseller, What Happy Working Mothers Know. She touches millions of lives as a TV and radio uh, personality. She has uh, a TV show where she comes on and talks about happiness tips, The Morning Blend. And she has a new iPhone app called Your Happiness Now. And Kathy's website is whtcleadership.com. There's a bunch of free downloads. Kathy and I share a website, excelinstitute.com, where you have a series of uh, free tools. My website, www.truenorthleadership.com, have a uh, more recently a free iPhone app called Leadership Keys. So if you go to... Um, iTunes, or you go to your iTunes app store, you can type it in, and it's very specific, tool-oriented about some of the tools that leaders do every day. So a couple of the aspects of why are we talking about leaders and leadership development news, typically about 40% of organizations say there's a significant gap in the number of skilled, trained leaders available for new uh, jobs. And so this gap really comes from this brain drain, and we'll get uh, Joshua maybe to comment on this. One is we've lost 8 million jobs to the Great Recession. Two, we have uh, so many of the baby boomers retiring and leaving a shortfall of about 10 million workers. And three, the Gen X and Gen Yers from so much time in front of a screen, whether it's the phone or whether it's their computer, have been known to have a little less emotional intelligence. And so these brain drains are creating this chaos of how to get more folks more leaders, and how to have more leaders with emotional intelligence. And we know that the leader is the emotional thermostat for the team. So how the leader is, how the team is. And so that's why the leadership aspects are so important. When you look at IQ, you look at technical expertise, there's a lot of research and a lot of research that Joshua has from six seconds that emotional intelligence is kind of the critical factor that allows someone to move further up uh, on the corporate ladder. You know, and Josh, why don't I have you jump in here just about, you know, this emotional intelligence in general and kind of the need for it in organizations, you know, following along some of the things that I've just kind of highlighted. Yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing um, an increasing awareness in emotional intelligence in our recent workplace issues report. We um, found that the awareness is, is quite high, particularly among senior leaders but the implementation is still pretty low. And uh, yet organizations 
that have uh, a more serious implementation of emotional intelligence, they scored about 32% higher in a number of other areas around leadership. So we're seeing that this uh, set of competencies is really central to what we mean by leadership in this era. You know, I think we're living in very complex times. We need people who are good at uh, dealing with people. Uh, as one of the respondents in that research said, you know, we need people, people. Right. And if you're going to be leading across uh, functional teams, you're going to be leading uh, across boundaries, geographic role level boundaries, if you're going to be you know, dealing with the, the kind of chaos that's a normal part of business today, you can't just kind of show up and be a technical expert. You're going to fail. And we can't stand anymore to have uh, people in uh, the role of leader who aren't leaders. And so we've got to get this human dimension right, and that's why emotional intelligence is so important today. Let me just kind of highlight one thing you said. Um, so from your uh, new, you said it was the workplace, what was it called? That's right, workplace issues report. Workplace it's issues. The study we've been doing now uh, since 2006, uh, every couple of years we do a survey and we ask people, you know, what are the top issues in your organization? Uh-huh. And you'll be surprised, really, that the, the, the number one answer is people. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, and then we ask them about, you know, specifically within those issues, what's going on. But you know what? Even in the middle of the recession when we did this, the, the people issues were 65% larger and people saw them as dramatically more significant than the financial and technical issues. So That's great. We, well, I love, you know, on, on this show, we, were, we have the evidence base and coming up with research, I highlighted some. So just to highlight a couple things, you said people higher in uh, emotional intelligence were 32% higher in, in other leadership competencies? Yeah, so what it, what it was is we asked um, people, this was not about you as an individual, it's about your organization. And organizations that uh, had higher levels of implementation of emotional intelligence, part of their strategy, it was part of their people development, part of their hiring, those organizations were scoring 32% higher in other aspects of, of leadership. That's so, right. Yeah, so it's not just, I mean, we've done a lot of research before about individuals. You know, for example, we know that about 55% of your kind of key performance outcomes as a leader, uh, the variation, about 55% of the variation in those outcomes can be attributed to emotional intelligence scores. But this study was looking at the organizational implications. Uh-huh. Uh, we've just done another study where we've linked organizational climate, leaders' EQ, and financial performance, and uh, performance in the company's performance management uh, dashboard. Uh-huh. And again, very strong correlation between emotional intelligence and, and performance, both for the individual, which, of course, we, we all care about ourselves, but sure. for the organization. It's not just that this is something for you and I. This is something for our enterprises. Right. Well, that's where I think it is so critical in what you're doing, and, and the same thing for me, bringing this to organizations, and, and then especially, um, you know, having the research like you're quoting and then how it affects the bottom line. So if, if some of the listeners are interested in getting the workplace issues report, where should, is that available and where should they go? Yeah, absolutely. If you go to sixseconds.org, it's the numeral six and the word seconds.org, and you just... Uh, type in that search bar, uh, workplace issues, uh, you'll see a series of the different workplace issues reports we've done over the years. And the 2012 report is obviously the 
what I'm talking about right now. Yeah. No, this is great. And, you know, as a practitioner myself, uh, the rest of today I'll be preparing, you know, a, a training and thing I'm doing in-house and training folks uh, next week. And so any of the new cutting-edge research um, yeah. that you have, uh, I'll certainly well, be able to grab that. Else really that I use a lot when I'm presenting, and I think a lot of people who are interested in emotional intelligence will be will like this, is um, I start out with the lead question of the Workplace Issues Report, which is an open-ended question. What are the top two to three issues in your organization? I give people post-it notes or ask them to write it down. And then, you know, depending on the size of the group, we might post them up around the room in different categories. But what we see is when we, you know, I, I mean, I'm talking about, I'm working with, you know, engineers from Lockheed Martin, you know, literally space scientists, or I'm working with, you know, I work quite a bit with the military or, or big financial services organizations, but, you know, HSBC, even these very technical, very financial organizations, I ask them this question, the vast majority of the post-its end up in the people category. Yeah. And then we can go in to talk about, well, why is that? You know, why is that so hard? And what is it that we need to learn in order to, to not make that be a problem in our organization? Uh-huh. And, you know, emotional intelligence is the answer. That's great. Well, and I think just from, uh, you know, getting people engaged like I know you do, it's because they, they can see this as theoretical. They could see this as how is it going to relate to bottom line. But all of a sudden when they see their own handwriting, up on the wall of their key issues, and then, you know, why is it so hard? Because then they don't necessarily have the skills. And I think where you and I, um, you know, share a passion is is how do you bring the skills to yeah. people? And so, well, let's, and really, this is not something I had. This is not something I was good at. You know, I started three companies before I was 18 years old. I was a young entrepreneur, and I was terrible as a leader. You know, I was an innovator. I had great, you know, cool ideas. I had some financial acumen, but I was terrible, and I couldn't lead people. And, you know, those companies did not do very well. So it's not, you know, I'm not out here saying, oh, yes, I'm Mr. Emotional Intelligence to do what I do. This has been a struggle for me for uh, many years, and it still is, but it's something that if I can learn it, (laughs) look, if I can learn it, anybody can learn it. No, that's great. Well, I think that's one of the good things when we say EQ versus IQ. EQ, you can get better at. We're going to take a, a, a short break, and then we'll come right back. This great. is Leadership Development News. We're talking with Josh Friedman. And uh, six, the numeral sixseconds.com. You can look at some of the resources we've just talked about. We'll be right back. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and 
brand influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety, and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers, with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practice of Top Performers. We're talking to a top performer here, uh, Joshua Freeman, and uh, just during the break, we're talking about a little bit of uh, background on one of the things, Josh, just before we hear about some of these, I'm interested in the three companies that you started. My son is is just turned 18 and his and his first job, and it's so interesting what, what you and I do every day because you know he, he got a new boss and he's working in a movie theater, and there's so <laughs> much about you know he's like, wow, I got this new boss. I wonder how his new boss is. He's starting to see you know how much influence this boss has, and I say to every leader, and I'm sure you do also, Josh. Almost every leader underestimates the influence they have over others. They're often doing their job, and they have blind spots to the people with chefs. You know, really, it reminds me, I wanted to tell you about um, there? a project. Which... Yeah, so tell us a little bit about, um, you, you know, you, you said three, <laughs> you started three companies before you were 18. I didn't know that. Well, it wasn't, you know, that exciting, but when I was 13 years old, I started a DJ company. Uh, what kind of company? DJ parties. And, yeah. You know, di- oh, DJ, jockey, yeah. You know, we did music for parties and lights and sound, and our, our parents had to drive us around, but, you know, it was, it was kind of cool. I ended up having four people working for me and, uh, you know, doing parties, and that kept going for a few years. And um, then uh, that led me into theater production, and I started uh, a company that was doing lighting and sound for festivals, and we used to do all kinds of different events. And then uh, I started a construction company, and actually the way I 
uh, offset some of my college expenses uh, was that in the summers I do residential remodeling, and I got my contractor's license uh, when I was 18 years old. And wow. Doing that work, but it didn't, you know, it didn't go very far. I remember one time, one employee saying to me, you know, oh, it seems like we're having some trouble. Can we talk about it? And I slammed my hand down on the table and said, No, I don't want to talk about it. I want you people to get the work done. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. And that, you know, it's just there's a. I was so uncomfortable with myself and with these people and them depending on me and what our relationship was, and I didn't know what it meant to lead. I yeah. knew what it meant to work hard. I knew what it meant to get stuff done. But, but leading people, I mean, that's a whole different story. It really is. Well, say, say a little bit then how you got into, you know, emotional intelligence. I know you kind of, you're, you're, you're the, uh, a school you were involved in got yeah. highlighted, you know, in, in um, Daniel Goleman's yeah, so, first book. Yeah, so a woman named Karen McCown started a school in 1967, uh, a school where academic development and emotional development were considered co-equal. It was a school for gifted and talented kids, world-famous school uh, by the time I started teaching there in 1992. Dan Goldman came and visited in 93 and wrote about the self-science program as one of the models of how to teach emotional intelligence. So when his book came out in 95, became an international bestseller, people started calling us up saying, I read about this in Goldman's book. I love his ideas, but it doesn't tell us how to do it. Yeah. How do you actually teach skills? Now, you know, really, we thought that it would mostly be educators because it was a school. But what happened is uh, when we ran our first training, uh, we had people from a couple different military organizations. We had a lot of in- people from industry and technology and finance and, uh, and a lot of people uh, in training and development. Um, actually, you know, less than half the people were K-12 educators. Mm. And all of a sudden, we were sort of <laughs> thrust into trying to figure out, well, how do you talk about this, you know, with military officers? How do you talk about this with engineers? And then what and year was this? This was in 99. 99, that's great. We, we started the organization in 97. We did our first certification training in 99. People started emailing us saying, well, you know, do you have certification? And honestly, I had no idea what that meant because I'm not from organizational psychology, you know. Right, right. I was like, well, uh, I guess they want an in-depth training, you know, so let's put one together. And now we do this all the time. That's great. But, you know, what I'm most interested in, I mean, I know, you know, I've, uh, you and I know each other, and we have some colleagues uh, in common, you know, in the EI field, and we've both been doing it for quite a, quite a while. Um, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting when you talk about self-science education, how I got involved in, in before we had the words emotional intelligence, there was a program called Confluent Education. I got my master's in it, yeah. where Confluence, where two things come together, it was thinking yep. and feeling. And they actually it was borrowed a, a on our cool. They borrowed a course from, I think then it was UMass, called Self-Science Education, where you were the yep. subject of the class. And, you know... I'm sure we're, we're kind of coming from very similar roots uh, yeah, before absolutely. the EI movement even got going. Absolutely. So Karen McCown had uh, done her master's in confluent and affective education and studied this kind of self-science concept that was going on in, in universities. Uh-huh. Said, well, we need to make a school curriculum out of it. And the, uh, um, I've forgotten his name, Gerald Weinstein, I think, was one of the creators of it, said, well, yeah, you know, I don't know anything about teaching school kids, but you go ahead. 
And so she created the self-science curriculum for, for elementary school. Well, and I think the, we had a professor, this was UC Santa Barbara, brought me out to California, who graduated yeah. from UMass. And then at UMass, I guess, started that self-science, and, and then everybody populated from there. Well, so yeah. t- tell me a little bit, of, because I'm, I'd love to hear your take on emotional intelligence from a global standpoint. You know, are there, are there, what are the similarities, and maybe even from the competencies, what are some of the differences? So I just am in the process of analyzing some data about this. And we have a data set um, that I'm playing with with 27,000 people in it because we publish this really amazing assessment tool on how to take emotional intelligence and use it. We have all of this interesting data, primarily from managers. And I started exploring this question, what are some of the differences globally and what are some of the differences uh, between people who are managers versus senior managers. Mm. And let me just start with that and say yeah. okay, there are two competencies that, um, that generally senior managers are higher in emotional intelligence, despite some of our experiences with our own bosses. Um, we know that emotional intelligence is predictive of career success, and so we would expect that as you ascend in your career, you know, you're, you're promoted in part for your emotional intelligence, probably in large part. So senior managers are more emotionally intelligent. It uh, doesn't mean to say they always use it, but mm. uh, statistically, uh, senior managers are significantly more emotionally intelligent. Uh, the two competencies that really stand out making a difference are something we call engaging intrinsic motivation, but that fire within, and that sometimes includes a little disregard for others. It's like, this is really important, and I don't care if you also think it's important. I don't need the validation from mm. somebody outside of me. I don't need the validation from the money. I don't need the validation from the perks. Sure, those things are nice, but I'm driven. And so that's not a big surprise, right, that that would be... Right, and uh, so that would be another term... Predictor. Kind of in the Goldman model and other models, you know, would be initiative, achievement orientation. Absolutely, but it's the, the key idea here is that it's internal. Yeah, right. So the second competency, and I think this is a surprise to a lot of people, it, that really sets senior leaders apart is something that we call pursuing noble goals. And when you pursue a noble goal, it means you have a, a deep sense of overarching purpose. It's not just about your job. It's about your life. What am I here for? How do I contribute to that on a daily basis? Really being purpose-centered. And, you know, a lot of times people hear that term, pursue noble goals, and they think, oh, that's touchy-feely, fluffy altruism mm-hmm. stuff. It turns out that that sense of, of deep, meaningful purpose and putting it into action yeah. uh, if you score um, in the top quartile in that competency, you're twice as likely to be a senior leader. Uh-huh. That's really yeah. fascinating. You know, I'm trying to... So that's in North America. And that's in North America. Okay. Yeah, so, but I wanted to bring you that to set the stage because yeah. as we look at North America in general is higher in emotional intelligence than Asia, for example. Huh. Uh, so I'm about to head over to Asia, and, you know, I don't think that'll be a surprise to anyone, right? We have this stereotype of Asians being kind of aloof, kind of right. a little rigid, not so emotionally expressive, and to some degree, that's, there is some truth in that, that emotion is not so comfortable in business in general. Right. In Asian business, it's even more, uh, you know, questioned, and yeah. uh, stoicism is, is valued more, and so there tends to be less emotional expression, less emotional openness. But uh, what's interesting to me is that when we look at entrepreneurs in Asia, 
this competency that I mentioned of pursuing noble goals, uh-huh. they're ahead of entrepreneurs in North America. Uh-huh. What that suggests is that the very thing that's setting our leaders apart today, the future leaders of Asia, these entrepreneurs, they're... And that's I think, you know, we hear a lot about the rise of Asia, right? And we hear about, like, the rise of Asia in terms of automation and, you know, low-cost labor. But uh-huh. this is the rise of Asia in terms of purpose and vision. And so, just say a little bit more, because I have kind of my own, you know, thoughts on that. But, all, but for our audience, when you say, you know, what would be some examples of, yeah, of noble goals? So, it could be about... Uh, my noble goal is to inspire compassionate wisdom. Uh-huh. Uh, I just was talking to somebody uh, in India uh, last week, and her, she was help, I was helping her refine her noble goal, and her noble goal is to um, awaken um, young minds to meaning. Hmm. Uh, the chairman of our organization, who I mentioned, Karen McCowan, her noble goal is to uh, support myself and others to be human beings, as opposed to okay. human takings. So it's a statement of, yeah. of meaning in our lives. So a lot of people may call that kind of a personal mission statement. Yeah, except it's not just about work, and it's not just about what right. you're going to accomplish in the next five years. It's a, it's a deeper sense of meaning. Yeah, and kind of, it really is, and, and Stephen Covey would say, you know, what, what's your legacy? You know, to leave a yeah. legacy, yeah. What is, so what is that? And uh, so that's very interesting that you find that the Asians um, have that in, at least now, higher and than entrepreneurs in particular. Right. Yeah, so go on, go on, because I know you got a, you got a wealth of information here, and it's great to be able to have you just unpack it. <laughs> Thanks, Riley. Yeah. So what else are let's say from a global sense, uh, you know, are you are you seeing? Well, you know, I think that. It is interesting that we see, uh, I mean, I can tell you about one of our clients. I can't name the client, but it's a very large, it's in the Fortune Top Ten. And I just looked at their data of their managers and where are their mix of emotional intelligence competencies. Their biggest challenge is in something we call applying consequential thinking, which is about pausing to evaluate the emotional impacts of our choices. Can you say that one again? What is it? Uh, apply consequential thinking. Apply, it's like, apply what, what are the consequences? Consequential you know, what are the thinking. consequences of this okay. choice that I'm making? What's yeah. the impact of this choice? Yeah. How is this going to affect me and others? Right. So people who are low in apply consequential thinking are impulsive and reactive, and they, you know, they can fly off the handle and they can leap before they look. Right. And uh, in this very large company in North America, this is their biggest. Um, deficit, if you will, among their managers. Uh-huh. But their overseas counterparts worldwide uh, are scoring significantly higher in this competency compared to the North American uh, group. And this is a company that started in North America and has spread all over the world very, very, very successful. And probably that impulsivity has helped them be successful. But I see this real imbalance between yeah. the managers in North America who have gotten away with a certain level of impulsivity, I think, because we've been so strong in the past, and now as we're really moving into kind of global parity with many, many other economies and right. rising economies not being the first world economies, uh, we're going to need to tune up these skills if we want to remain competitive. Well, this is interesting, and I'm sure you've seen, you know, some of the work of 
Daniel Kahneman, who has a new book, uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, got some really interesting terms in there. You know, we, and I think it's kind of that balance, like we're talking about with confluent ed, thinking and feeling. You know, there's no, yeah. there's no there, it's a balance between thinking fast, which we could see this kind of impulsiveness, thinking slow, which is a little more strategic, yeah. probably brings in what you're saying, the applied consequential thinking, where you're just Absolutely. slowing down a little bit. But I think often, and you've seen this, I love this term, and I think it's the impulsive thinking, we go with what has cognitive ease. And so it's yeah. kind of where it comes to us right away, and because it comes to us right away, we, we imbue confidence in it, and therefore we, we blurt it out, and we think because it came to us easy that therefore it's right, you know, yeah. versus stepping back. It may come to us easy and then maybe checking with others, using some of your emotional intelligence. What do you think about my idea, you know, which is more the collaboration. And even what do I think about it, you know, to take that pause for <laughs> reflection and saying, what is, you know, is this really what I mean? Yeah. Now, so that's a great one. Um, how, do, how do you help people with that one? Because I think, uh, you know, one of the things that Dan Siegel has said that has been profound to me, and we interviewed him a while back, was if we stay on automatic, mm-hmm. it's the, the, the demise of our civilization. And, you know, yeah. some of the other research says we're on automatic or our minds wandering 50% of the time. So how do we yeah, get people would, cut more in a moment and, and, and anything that you would do to kind of get them into the here and now and truly thinking? Well, I, I think the first thing is to uh, recognize that our emotions are real. And um, Antonio Damasio, you know, this amazing neuroscientist in right. work, said emotions are embodied. They're not something that's separate from us. They're not separate from our mind. He also said emotions are meshed in the neural networks of reason. And, you know, the notion that emotions are something separate from us and something that we can kind of push away is a huge fallacy, and it's deeply in the way of us making this shift. Right. So I think the very first thing is to start to learn that emotions are real and that they're valuable. And when people can start to understand that, and, you know, our engineers and our analysts and our... They can, when we can give them the data and we can show them what emotions really are and how they work in their brains and bodies and how they affect every single living cell in the human organism, then they start to say, okay, there's something to this. Yeah. Let, me, let me then tune in. And so the first step is establishing the value, and then later I can tell you about Okay. And, you know, I remember, uh, and I'm sure you have, because you talk about this all the time, I mean, when we first talked, you kind of describe emotions as kind of a chemical data? Like, what's the catchphrase that you talk about? About what, yeah, a, what an emotion is? Our organization is called Six Seconds, is that emotions are neurohormones that last in our brains and bodies for about six seconds. It's actually a long-chain amino acid. It's a, a neurohormone, uh, and they're prim- produced primarily in the brain, but also uh, in many other parts of the body. And these chemicals are part of our regulatory system. They help us pay attention to threats and opportunities galvanize us, they motivate us to deal with the threats and opportunities that are part of our lives. And so it's just a chemical, chemical data, chemical information that, that, that uh, we have transitorily, you know, happening moment to moment. Yeah, and there's, you know, we're, they're constantly there, and there are multiple ones of these signals at a time, and I think this is one of the reasons it's so darn confusing is that, yeah. you know, it's not that we just have one. 
we can be frustrated and worried and excited and hopeful all at the very same time. And those are different chemicals. And I, you know, I liken it to a chemistry set, you know, where we have these droppers and we have a little droplet of this and a little droplet of that and a little droplet of this. Literally, it's true. You know, that's what's happening in our bodies is they're coursing through our bloodstream and they're going into our capillaries and they're docking on every cell of the body, signaling that cell, do more of this, do less of this, go faster, go slower, uh, tighten these muscles, you know, be more stressed, be more reactive, be more focused, be more open. Uh, and we were literally also kind of radiating this energy because these, uh, these chemicals are changing the electrical set points of our cells. So I'm just, you know, sitting here listening as you talk. I love hearing you talk. And uh, I'm just thinking we're going to need to take a, a short break, and then we'll, we'll come back. Um, we're talking with Joshua Friedman of SixSeconds.org, and that's number SixSeconds.org, and we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic plays to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. G? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters with Dr. G airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. 
We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Rowan Nadler. My co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, is not with us today. And we're having a exciting talk with Joshua Friedman, the COO of 6seconds.org. And it's the number 6, sec, uh, and then seconds.org. And, um, Josh, let's talk about change. When I talk about emotional intelligence, you know, I usually say the practice field or the arena or where everything comes together is change because there's so much change going on. And I know you've been... Uh, writing about change for, for a while, and you have a new book, Inside Change. So when did that come out? And then let's talk about change for leaders. Yeah, I agree with you, really. It's, uh, we are in times of change. Uh, about 78% of CEOs expect the pace of change to accelerate, and uh, those who don't are not paying attention. And uh, it's, it, uh, the vast majority of change efforts fail, primarily because of emotions and the people side of change. And so uh, last year we came out with uh, the book Inside Change, and the title really is the message. If you want organizational change, you need to change. Change starts from the inside. And we go into the neuroscience of of that uh, process and what's happening emotionally, and then we come to a roadmap and this kind of very practical process. I mentioned we work a lot with engineers, and we said, okay, we're going to share with our engineers how you know, they can lead the people side of change. Uh, we've got to be able to break it down into a very kind of systematic process for dealing with this very complex human uh, dimension. And, and, of course, we bring emotional intelligence in as a tool for how you actually navigate the side, starting with yourself and then your close team and then the larger team and then rippling out into bigger and bigger groups. Well, that's, that's great, even just the title, Inside Change, um, yeah. you know, because it obviously starts on the inside. So, so in, in most, uh, and I think you have on your website, and, and I've used the same thing, most change initiatives fail. And so yeah. what are the essential ingredients for leading a successful change initiative within an organization? Well, I mean, I think it's really easy to say, and one of the things that uh, Max Ganey, my co-author of this book, and I often do when we're doing keynotes is we'll, we'll ask, you know, you have 30 seconds, come up with the 10 things you need to do to make change successful. And the things that people come up with are absolutely right. You know, they say break it down into small pieces, get people on board. Uh, thanks to John Cotter, we hear a lot of, you know, create urgency, uh, which is really good. The problem is most people don't know the difference between creating urgency and creating fear. Uh, mm. You know, have it measurable. Right. So the, the, I think that most managers know how to create change. They know right. what the steps would be. They don't know how to actually do it. Yeah. They don't know how to get themselves into the right emotional state where they can actually go and have the conversation they don't know how to bring their people on board. They know they need to do it. They don't know how. And so that's the, you know, that's the question that we're, we're answering in Inside Change, is the actual how of it. It's the what of it, uh, I think, has been very, very well answered by many, many, many people. And I, I think most managers have a lot of awareness 
that you know you need to create some readiness, you need to get people on board, you need to have some metrics you need to implement. I, I think the breakthrough idea in inside change in terms of uh, you know, the sort of what is the process of change is really the emphasis on change as a cycle. It's not useful to conceptualize change in a linear process. And most mm. organizational change efforts are conceptualized in a linear process. We're going to have phase one, phase two, phase three, and we're going to be done. And that's right. just BS because, you know, what happens is in the middle of phase two, you know, you get acquired or there's a new competitor or something else happens, mm-hmm. and then, you know, you're shuffling, shuffling, shuffling. Or right. take it to a really simple example. You know, you say, okay, I'm going to go on this new diet. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and at the end of this process, I'm going to weigh 20 pounds less. And that's conceptualizing it as a linear process. It's got an end point. And then you start on the diet, and then two weeks later, you haven't lost any weight, and you say, oh, see, this thing sucks. I'm not going to do this. I give up, and you stop. But change is not a linear process. And when we hold it in our heads as a linear process, we get ourselves into all kinds of troubles, and we we stop being adaptive, stop learning. That's the real uh, barrier. Well, and also when you, you think, and this is why it's so complex, you think of us as being humans, you know, and you talk about the neuroscience and, and how we're wired, and then you've got a leader who has to deal with not only themselves, but all these other people who are wired so differently, and everybody's reacting to the change differently. Um, yeah. You know, it can just, and that's I guess one of the reasons it's just kind of spin out of control. You know, most leaders aren't psychologists. Although they yeah. do need some of the basic kind of skills to somehow let people not spin out of control. So, you know, yeah. what, and maybe you could most, speak to some of the tools that, that you would focus on for folks. Sure. And I, I think most psychologists also don't have, you know, the skills either. It's, it's yeah. one thing to know about it and talk about it, but actually <laughs> practicing it. Uh, you know, um, people are not rational. Yeah. And we can accept that kind of in an academic sense. And, you know, you and I are sitting here in our offices, you know, in this comfortable environment. Okay, that's fine. But then when we get hit in the face with it and, like, come on, you know, just this is obvious. Just do it. And they don't do it. You know, if you have any doubt, uh, just watch somebody buying a pack of cigarettes. You know, and they, they look at the cigarettes and they see smoking kills. And they pick up that box of cigarettes and they go buy it. You know, people are not... Rational. It's not that we're totally irrational. It's just we're not only rational. Yeah. And we've got to bring that into our awareness, and we have to accept that. And as we're leading people, if we go into the situation saying, okay, good, you know, we're just going to present this plan, and it's going to be logical, and it's going to make sense to people, you are being totally irrational, you know, in your effort to be rational. If you want to really be rational about people, if you really want to be logical about people, Start with the acceptance that people are not just rational. And so uh-huh. as, you, as you go into that room to talk about this plan, as you prepare yourself to go into the room rec- talking about the plan, recognize that emotion is driving your decision. Yeah. Emotion drives how we evaluate data. So you put that plan up and you say, look, here's this chart and it's going to work. It's emotion that's telling people, I believe you, or not. And so, you know, that's a really simple, powerful question what do you want people to feel? And at the middle, beginning of this meeting, the middle of this meeting, at the end of this meeting, what do you want people to feel? And if you're not thinking about that, you're not going to be as successful. Uh-huh. So that, you know, that kind of uh, tool, it's a, it's a pretty simple tool. Yeah. For people who are good at emotions, you know, they can answer that. 
one of the things that we do is we measure the way people feel in an organization. We measure it at a team level. We measure it at an organizational level. We can tell you what's the level of trust. So if you don't know and you don't know how to quantify that, you don't know how to put that into the conversation, we can measure it. And then we can say, all right, now let's talk about what you're going to do about it. Somehow, so, when you measure it, it becomes real. You, measure, you mentioned trust. Is that, is that one of the measurement uh, criteria, or, or maybe what are some of the criteria when you're saying you're measuring? Yeah, so we have a, a tool called Organizational Vital Signs and Team Vital Signs and Leadership Vital Signs, and all of them use what we call the Vital Signs Model. Trust is at the center. It's what bolts the whole thing together. Uh, we have uh, four other dimensions. We have um, execution, which you know I think everyone's familiar with. You know, kind of getting that work done. We have change, which is a, about adaptability and openness. We have uh, motivation, which is about that drive and sense of you know moving forward. And we have teamwork, which is about collaboration and feeling that sense of mm. shared alignment. And in uh, the middle is trust that holds that all together. And what we know is that those factors in or an organization are massively predictive of success. And we measure the outcomes uh, on the people side, on the organizational side, on the strategic side, and on the operational side. We put that all together into a dashboard to say, as you're thinking about change, let's understand where people are. I mean, how often do we measure, you know, our our sales forecast? How often do we look at our pipeline? How often do we look at our, you know, if you're doing lean every few minutes, you're looking at critical data points in your uh, process, how often are you looking at the people side of that? You know, once a year with a really cumbersome, meaningless survey, yeah. that's just not good enough. So we, we call it vital signs because of this idea that it's about the vitality of your team or your organization or yourself as a leader. And we bring that data into the conversation as a start of the change process. Because we ground our, our change process in data uh, we have this kind of rigor to it. We can then say, all right, let's look at what we really want to have happen uh, based in reality as opposed to our assumptions. Well, it, it makes so much sense what you're, you're saying, and I think so many organizations, just like you're saying, when you kind of use their same language about data and about dashboards, and you go, so what's your leadership dashboard? They go, uh, yeah. or your executive process. Have you examined how you make decisions? They've examined yeah. everything else. But it all, often it's under-examined or non-examined about how do we even make decisions? How do we get all these smart people, throw them in a room together, and hopefully by crossing our fingers that we're going to be even smarter? You know, and, and I know you've probably seen this over and over. You put all these smart people in a room, and the IQ of the room gets dumbed down. And it's really the yeah. EIEQ skills that, that's not somehow pulling at the best of all the people together. Yeah, absolutely. And you can have some very intelligent, and you can have some very emotionally intelligent people, but it doesn't mean that they can perform together. Uh, you don't, for example, have trust. That's why it's at the center. You can have somebody who is just flippin' brilliant and could be the most emotionally intelligent person on the planet, but they're operating in a, you know, a pressure cooker of poor trust it's going to be very, very hard for them to galvanize that group and pull people together and have a real conversation and come out the other side with a, a, a process to create change. Well, one of the, the questions I know you address, and so we're kind of in with this, our audience, our um, leaders and uh, people in organizations, how do they help others 
deal with all the rapid change, you know, that we're all facing? Yeah, well, I would, <laughs> I would say that uh, the first thing is, you know, finding some peace in yourself around this. A lot of the organizational leaders that I've been talking to are um, feeling in- incredibly stressed themselves. You know, and I think that the it's very difficult to uh, work with your team, work with your colleagues, support people to, to get out of their own reactivity when you're you know, burning hot yourself yeah. and you can kind of, you're not really sleeping well at night and you're... You know, so I think some very basic things that, again, if this is not rocket science, you know, taking some time out, going for a walk, having some fun, making sure that you're drinking enough water, you know, really simple, basic mm-hmm. things to take care of yourself. Uh, it's not a nice to have. It's a need to have. If you're going to be a high performer uh, in the dimension of people leadership, you are, you're, I like that, that, the concept of the corporate athlete. Yeah. You know, you are like an athlete there. You've got to take care of yourself. Your physical presence is a really important part of your ability to work with others. So, you know, I think that's one reason why, um, you know, people like Dan Siegel's work has been so interesting and, you know, looking at kind of meditation and looking at the ability to step back from your um, current turn and, you know, go, okay, this is just this moment in time. I had this wonderful... Um, I'm recently in Japan with a Buddhist monk. Um, my kids and are homeschooled, and we're traveling together. And my wife and kids and I are in this 500-year-old temple, talking to this monk about neuroscience and uh, the neuroscience of meditation. And, um, you know, and he said this thing, which I just love: that you know, time time is passing, and we can um, either just be caught in the flow of it, or we can step a little bit back and notice is slow, and that, when we do that, it opens up new possibilities. That's great. Well, when with that, our time is, has passed, you know, very quickly, and maybe we'll have to have you <laughs> come back, but uh, I love... Yeah, I'd love to do that. Well, I love speaking with Joshua, and, and I think, just to highlight a couple things, um, you know, your, your website where people can get some of the tools, um, www.6seconds.org. Uh, and then inside change, and I imagine you can get that book at all all the normal places. Yeah, yeah, Amazon and whatnot. Really, I also wanted to mention, you know, you, we talked about Dan Siegel and some others. We've got an amazing event coming up. In yeah, why don't you mention that real quick before we finish? It's a, the, the world's first truly global emotional intelligence conference. It's a marathon of webinars, 24 hours, starting on uh, 00 uh, Universal Time, um, July 6th, which... For those of us in California, that's 5 p.m. on July 5th. I'm kicking it off with Peter Salovey, who really, uh, together with his colleague, invented emotional intelligence. And um, we have 24 webinars, and they're all free. So anybody who's interested in this subject, uh, it's a, one of those must-dos. You go to sixseconds.org, you'll see on there 24 EQ. That's great. So it's 24, 24 sessions, and it's due to 24 hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Marching around the globe. Oh, that's great. Well, good. I'll certainly partake in that. And so uh, I encourage our listeners to uh, listen. You sound like I know your lineup. You've got a lot of the very top uh, emotional intelligence speakers and people who have been in the field for a long time. So thank you so much, uh, Josh. This has been Josh Friedman, 6seconds.org, and this is uh, Relly Nadler. 
and www.truenorthleadership.com and Leadership Development News, and we're going to be signing off. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.